of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Hey, fellow travelers, I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I wrote Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. This week, a young woman struggles to find a balance between taking care of her own needs and caring for her husband, whose chronic illness is taking a toll on their marriage. We got married, we were in this together. I'm definitely scared that our marriage could fall apart. I just don't know what to do without making it like this is his problem. Listen in and maybe learn something about yourself in the process. Dear Therapists is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it, in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and or clarity. Hi, Guy. Hey, Lori. So I can't believe it, but here we are wrapping up our very first season of Dear Therapist. It feels like it has just flown by. It really does. And when I think of all the topics that we've covered and all the lovely people that we've spoken to and all the emails from people telling us how much they took away from each episode. It's been quite a journey. And what I love the most is when people write and say that even though they haven't found themselves in exactly the same situation, that they've taken our advice and applied it to their lives in different ways. And that's what we're trying to do here. And as we think about our last episode of the season, we wanted to choose a letter that really reflected 2020. Yeah. And for us, and I think for many, many people, 2020 was about being able to care for yourself, even as we're caring for one another, and finding that balance. 
That's right. And so this week we have a letter about a really common relationship dynamic that people don't talk about enough. And it has to do with what happens when somebody in the relationship needs care and the other person has to be both the partner and the caregiver. So here's how the letter goes. Dear therapist, my husband Sid has sickle cell disease and over the past three years, it seems like the pain keeps getting worse, lasts longer, and he's out of it for more days each week. Medically speaking, he's in pretty decent shape. His blood work is good for his condition, so there isn't much the doctors can do. As it gets worse and worse, it's really affecting our marriage, emotionally, financially, and physically. I sometimes feel like more of a nurse than a wife, and I try really hard not to put any additional stress on him, hoping that if he doesn't have to deal with the usual stressors of life, that he'll get better faster. This in turn puts a lot more pressure on me, so I feel like a stressed out mess a lot of the time. It's gotten so bad that I'm terrified about what the future will look like. I'm also afraid that once he does start to feel better, I'm just going to be waiting for the other shoe to drop. I feel like I'm sabotaging our marriage because I'm not sure how much more I can handle. Do you have any suggestions about how to manage this situation? Thanks, Savannah. Sickle cell disease is a blood disorder that causes your body to make an unusual form of hemoglobin, and that has all kinds of impacts. It creates anemia, blockage. But the biggest symptom is these crises of pain that can be short or long and intense. The pain can be very severe, and it's the biggest part of sickle cell that people tend to deal with. It's hereditary, it's lifelong. To be a caretaker in a relationship, in a marriage, is very difficult because you have to juggle the needs of the quote-unquote patient with the emotional needs of each of the individuals, with the needs of the relationship and of the couplehood, and it's a lot to juggle for one person. And usually the person who is put last on the list is the caretaker in terms of taking care of their own needs. And not only is that person last on the list, but they feel guilty for having any needs. They feel like I can't have any needs because this other person's needs are so much more significant than mine. And so the daily things that come up in a marriage, the daily things that come up in a person's life, they feel like I don't want to burden my partner with this. And yet that's the stuff of marriage. And so we want to find out a little bit about how that got lost. And I think there's another aspect to this, which is the fear that sometimes people can't talk about, like the hard things. Is this person's life expectancy going to be shortened? Am I going to be left alone? Is this person going to die? Is this person going to have this acute pain crisis that is really hard for me to watch because I love this person so much and it scares me when I see this? And sometimes the caregiver partner feels like, I can't talk about my feelings about this with anyone. I don't want to alarm the person that I'm feeling this way. And what gets lost in all of this is that they're still a married couple. So how do they bring the marriage aspect of this, some normalcy into a situation that isn't quite normal? Yeah, there's a lot we need to find out here. Let's go talk to her. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai, if you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. Well, hi, Savannah. Hi, how are you? Good, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Savannah, we read your letter and we chose it because it's such a common situation for somebody in a couple to require caretaking for a medical condition. But we wanted to start by maybe getting a little bit of history about you and the marriage. Yeah, so we met about eight years ago through friends of friends. We were going to the same like club just on an outing. One thing led to another, and... We are have now been married for over three years. When you first met, had he been diagnosed with sickle cell disease? Usually people are diagnosed in childhood. Yeah, he knew, his parents knew before he was born, so he grew up with it. Mm -hmm. And what was your reaction when you found out? Did you understand what that meant? I don't think I understood the gravity of it. It took a while for him to tell me that that was the case. And I remember Googling, you know, just to understand more about what it is. And it was so irrelevant in the beginning. Like, he just seemed like such a normal person who did everything that his friends did. We went out and hung out and drank, you know, were normal, like, 25-year-olds. And he was in law school at the time, and that's not an easy thing to do. So, yeah, it just didn't even cross my mind that it would become anything bigger than what it was. And when did it start becoming a thing? So right after we got married, we moved to Seattle. And it was a couple months after that, that it just became this thing like every day where he was in pain. And then he would be taking more and more medication. And that would lead him not to be able to like get through the day because he was so out of it. And so for the last almost three years, it's been a pretty consistent thing. We moved in together about two years before we got married. I remember thinking at the time that it was definitely 
worse than what I had initially expected when we weren't living together, but not nearly as bad. It was the minor pain that was here and there that I started to see that I never used to see before, but it wasn't debilitating. It just was there. When you started to see some of the symptoms when you moved in together, did you ever at any moment think, I'm worried about what this could become or I'm worried about marrying this person? No, I only thought about it as like, I'm worried about the impact that it has on his life. I never really thought about it in relation to myself. When did you start thinking about it in relation to you? Probably within the last year. We had moved out of Seattle to L.A. thinking that the weather would make things better and get back to sort of normal or as normal as can be. That year that we were in Seattle, it was sort of like just learning about it being bad and seeing how it happened and then focusing so much time on getting out of there. And then the last couple of years in L.A., I think over the last year is sort of where I started to see it affecting me more and more. And what's his level of functioning? He was in law school. Is he working now? He has his own business, so he can make up his own hours. He really loves that, and that's what he's really passionate about. But I don't think he would be able to have a corporate job at this point. And, and he did. So right after law school, he did have a corporate job, and it was fine. But today, I don't think it's possible. Can you... Take us through a typical day of what your life is like now and what the two of you do. And how old are you both? We are both 33. I'll wake up around probably 7. He's usually asleep until, I would say, 10 or 11. And I'll just start my day. I have a full-time job, so I'll work throughout the day. And he'll wake up later, and he will try and work and get through his day. Sometimes he can. And then when I'm finished... We'll hang out, I'll cook dinner, we'll spend some time together. And then as I am ready to go to bed, he's like awake and in pain and working through something or watching a movie, sort of trying to get his mind off of it. And then if it's really bad, sometimes he'll wake me up in the middle of the night because he's been up for so long. If he's like starving and needs a snack or something and he can't get downstairs, then he'll ask me for help or sometimes he'll like wake me up just from sort of like almost like a panic attack just for like a hug or something to like bring him down. And then we kind of start all over again. Whenever we try and go see friends, I never expect that he will come. It's always up in the air. Or if we have an activity planned, we have to make sure that it's not too late in the evening or like sometimes we have to make sure that we can cancel things just because we know that it may or may not happen. How has the community around you, your circle of friends, responded to what's going on? Most of my friends are still in New York. So whenever I go home, they don't usually think that he'll be there with me. And they're supportive as they can be sort of from a distance. Same with both of our parents. And then I think here we don't really have close enough friends to be able to have that conversation with them. My job definitely knows what's going on. And so if I need to take the time, they're very flexible and supportive as much as possible. Do you have a sense in terms of the disease progression, where he's at, what his prognosis is? No, 
Not at all. The doctors don't really know, and there's a lot of new medications coming out and new therapies. So I think it's sort of changing. It's not really something that we've talked about deeply. It has been a hard conversation to talk about options because he very strongly believes that it's entirely his decision. And that's, you know, rightfully so. What is his decision? Whether or not to explore any new medications, whether or not to explore any new therapies, things like that. Sometimes, like, I think he sort of should be doing more. What do you think he should be doing? Well, there are a couple of new therapies, and I think he should explore them further. There was this one supplement that his doctor recommended that's supposed to help, but it he hasn't been taking it in the quantity that he's supposed to be, and so it wasn't really helping. Do you know why he wasn't taking it in the I quantity don't. he was I supposed to I try to understand, and I just, I, I don't. So what happens when you ask him? He kind of brushes it off and just says that he will or he forgets or something. And then I try and remind him and he thinks I'm putting too much emphasis onto this supplement. And it's supposed to have some benefits for sickle cell patients. You know what I'm hearing is that when you say he brushes it off, I think you both brush it off. Because what happens is you're talking about take the supplement, don't take the supplement, as opposed to what's going on emotionally for both of you. It's so much easier, by the way. It's very common for people, especially in this situation, to say, let's talk about treatment options and let's talk about your pain and let me get you a snack in the middle of the night, as opposed to what is this experience like for us, not only as a married couple, but as a young married couple? Because there's something so isolating anyway for a caregiver in any situation. Often the caregiver is the last person whose needs are attended to. But when you're a young couple, and you watch all the other couples your age, I think that most of what you see is people in their early 30s going through early stages of marriage, maybe having children, lots of career stuff going on. And you guys have this other layer that's also there. And so there's a sense of isolation. And what happens is it gets translated into the couple. So when he doesn't take the supplement and you say, how come you didn't take the supplement? You do come across to him as sort of a parental figure as opposed to a partner. Mm -hmm. For you, you say to yourself, I'm really worried about this. He has this option here that I think might help him. And I get really frustrated and angry that he doesn't want to do it. And you don't say that to him. And what he doesn't say to you is, I don't want to take the supplement because... And I wonder why you both are avoiding in some way having the conversations, not about the what, but about the why. Yeah. It's hard for me because a few times that we have tried to have this conversation, we end up in a fight and I would just rather not bring it up than end up fighting about it again. Savannah, how much is it clear for the two of you that the sickle cell impacts you very much as well? Have you told him the extent of the effect that it has on you? Um, I think so. I, I actually, I don't know. Tell us about an attempt to try and explain to him how it's impacting you. I guess if you put it that way, I don't think I have done a very good job in, in trying to. It sort of comes out in other parts of conversations. I think the one time that's very clear is he sort of asked me 
how much of it was me wanting him to get better versus how much me needing him to get better for our sake on like a scale from zero to 100. And I think I said it was probably like 80 to 90 percent wanting him to get better for him. And then the rest, the like 10 to 20, probably for us. Why only 10 to 20 for the two of you? I think implicit in his question was, how much do you care about me? How much do you love me? And I think that somehow in his mind, and again, I want to really emphasize that just in his mind, is that he thinks that if you give a high percentage to how much do you want me to get better for the sake of our marriage, that somehow that makes him less important to you. That sounds right. Or you don't empathize as well as you should. And this happens a lot with couples where somebody is really thrust into the role of caretaker, where you forget that you're still a married couple, right? And so this does impact both of you, and it should, because you are a couple. Yeah, I think the way that I interpreted that question was like, if we were to, say, split up, would I still want him to get better? And of course I would. You know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, especially somebody who I loved. And even if, you know, there was something that we couldn't reconcile, like I would still want it for him. Does he worry that you might not stick around if this gets worse? I think he thinks that it could be too much for me. Like there is a possibility that it gets to a point where I just can't handle it anymore. Has he actually said that to you or is that something that you're thinking he thinks? He said it before. Because I think that that question actually was a fear on the one hand, and on the other hand, giving you an opportunity to open the door and say, yes, I want you to get better, but I also want to talk about what it's doing to us. In other words, I do think that he might be fishing a little bit for you to bring up your part of this more than you've been willing to do. And I know that a lot of people, when they're in his situation, really go between feeling I need this help and feeling guilt on the one hand and then feeling like, but if she tells me this is really hard for her, that'll really be too much for me. I want to know, but I don't want to hear it kind of uh, feeling. And I'm wondering if he's in that boat a little bit. Yeah, that definitely sounds possible. So then you're sparing him by not wanting to burden him by telling him how much it's impacting you. And I'm just not sure that given what you wrote and how you're feeling, whether that's manageable for much longer for you. I'm not sure you have the option to spare him that for much longer. And this is in part why you wrote to us, being able to talk to him more about, look, this is really hard for me and I need us to talk. How much are you there? Um, I don't know. You don't know if you're ready for that? What's your fear? I'm definitely scared that our marriage could fall apart, and I, I certainly don't want it to. I just don't know what to do that will help both of us without making it like this is his problem, because I don't want it to feel that way, right? Like, we we got married, we were in this together. I just want to know what more either I can do or both of us can do in order to have it be something that isn't sort of always in everything. It is in everything. 
in the sense of this is going on and it doesn't go away and nobody gets a night off from the fact that he has sickle cell disease. But what's also going on at the same time that's not going away is you guys are a couple. And so the thing that's going to be helpful for the two of you is what is the nature of the connection between you guys as a married couple, even though you have this challenge in your marriage? And I say challenge in your marriage because it's a challenge for both of you. Yes, he suffers more. He has the excruciating pain. He has the anemia and the fatigue. He has, and I don't know if you two have talked about this, a shortened life expectancy. Mm -hmm. And so how do you talk about the fact that there's a lot going on in your marriage that's unrelated to this, I hope, but I don't know how much is. And then this is also happening. And I think it's taking up so much space because no one's talking about it. Usually the things that we don't talk about because we feel like they're going to take up so much space, we actually make them take up more space by not talking about them. You know that line when you get married in sickness and in health? Mm -hmm. That line was especially relevant to the two of you. Mm -hmm. When you think about how you imagined your marriage would go at the moment that you recited those vows versus how it's going now, can you tell me what the difference is? In my mind, it was, we're already doing this sickness thing and it's, it's fine. We both sort of make these sacrifices here and there, right? Like he misses out on things because he feels it. And then I will miss out on things. Like, let's say we had plans to go somewhere, then I'll just, you know, I'll miss out occasionally, but then I can be with him and support him. The flip side is if I really wanted to do something or go somewhere or whatever without him, he's not the kind of person who will ask me to stay. He'll tell me to go and, you know, do what I wanted to do and he'll just deal with it on his own and that's kind of what I expected like that's sort of what we were doing before and that's what I anticipated the future would be like. When you did your research on sickle cell disease one of the things that's very much out there is what the symptoms are what they can become and again this question of average life expectancy which I think for sickle cell disease is quite young. Did you Google that? I did, but it, it was like, well, that's everyone else. That's not him. I think he said that it runs in his family. And so he's had other families who have lived full lives and until they were much older. And so he's not really worried about this shortened lifespan. So I shouldn't worry about the shortened lifespan. You mentioned earlier that you're worried that talking to him about things in terms of how they impact you and the marriage might cause things to unravel and cause a big fight. Now, you seem to love him. You seem to want to figure it out. In fact, you seem a little too much to want to figure it out by yourself, really without him as much and to spare him more. But you seem to be worried that he's going to have the bad reaction to that conversation he's going to have a difficult time talking about how this impacts you, perhaps, how this impacts the marriage. Why are you worried about that? What have you heard from him that indicates that he will have a hard time having that kind of conversation to give space for your experience side by side with his? I think it's like the stress of the conversation puts his body into stress and that causes sickle cell pain. 
How quickly? Immediately? As soon as you start the conversation? No, just as it goes on. And if it sort of doesn't go well, then it could be a night where he doesn't sleep or he's in so much pain he just has to keep taking medication and then he doesn't sleep or does sleep throughout like half the next day and so the effect is so big that it's hard sometimes to to bring it up i'm not afraid of what he'll say i'm afraid of what reaction his body will have that means you're afraid to discuss any difficult topic with him yeah i mean having really difficult conversations like i have to think about it and figure out how to bring it up sometimes we have to stop and take a break and try and bring it up again at a later time because what happens in that moment where you feel like we need to revisit this later are you guys arguing with each other what happens we don't really raise our voices all that much it's not really how we fight we sort of just like we can't get through to each other. We can't explain things in a way that the other person understands. And so we just end up talking in, in circles and it, it just gets frustrating. You're worried about talking about anything that might upset him because not only will it potentially hurt him emotionally, but it could hurt him physically. Which makes it impossible for you to have any space at all emotionally in the couple. I don't know that you guys can get closer if you're living in your own silos. He's experiencing what he's experiencing. You're experiencing what you're experiencing. But nobody's talking about not only what's going on in the present, but what might happen in the future. You didn't talk about it before you got married. There was this reassurance from him. Well, everybody in my family does well with this disease, so it's going to be okay. And you said, I guess it'll be okay. I don't know if you ever thought about having kids. Did you guys think about that? We also sort of table that. I mean, neither one of us was sure, you know, a couple years ago. And I think we're just trying to figure it out if that's something that we want to do. In this moment, I don't know that we can, given sort of everything. I want to ask a different question, not whether you can, but I want to know what it is that you want. I don't know. I, I truly didn't know a few years ago. I think now I'm getting to the point where like, yes, I think I do. You do want, want kids? kids? Yeah. Something that's happening, Savannah, is that whenever you start thinking about your needs and your feelings, sickle cell jumps into that frame and blocks you from pursuing it because I need to talk to him, but oh, that'll put him in pain. I think I want kids, but that'll be a lot to talk to him about right now. I'm feeling that there's not enough space for me and my feelings in this, but I can't voice that because we'll get into an argument. And I think that fear is a short-term fear because the fear is it'll make him feel bad that night. But right now what's accumulating is all the stresses of where is she at? Because I don't know how she's, what she's feeling and whether she wants to be in this. The thing about a, a chronic illness is that it flares up sometimes and then things seem sort of normal-ish sometimes. And you don't want to get too hopeful in the normal moments because your guard is down. And then when the pain starts again, then you're just drawn right back into it. But it feels 
harder in some ways because you had your hopes up. Mm. It sounds like you're just in constant survival mode, that you're not really living because you're just trying to survive. And the part that's missing in this marriage right now is that you are a young married couple. And yes, there's this big challenge that you have, but there's so much more to this marriage than that. And there's no room at all for that. It's like, let's be careful about what we talk about. Let me not burden him with what's going on in my day. My concern about what happened with my boss or my job or my friend might seem irrelevant to him. So you're not really connecting at all. And there's so much fear of talking about what's already looming so large between you. It's not like because you're not talking about it, it's not there. It's so there. Things like, I think I want to have kids. Things like, I worry about the progression of this disease. Can we talk about what happens if something happens where you do get very ill? At one point, we might want to get a caregiver for you. Can we talk about how we talk about decisions around your care and where we can have discussions about it, even if ultimately it's your decision? Can we talk about why you don't want to take the supplements? I just want to understand how you think and feel about these things. Can we talk about what happens at the doctor and who's in those meetings and and discussions? And then can we also talk about how we can have some normalcy in our marriage, right? Are you guys having sex? Are you having any kind of intimacy with each other? Are you socializing with people when he's feeling up to it? What do you do to have fun together? Do you have any movie nights or date nights knowing that it might get canceled? Actually, I want the answers to all those questions. These are great questions you asked, Laurie. Can we pause and just get some of those answers? Yeah, we don't have sex very often. Since when? Probably the last like two years, I would say. Because he's not up to it? I think it's a combo. I think some of it is that he's not feeling well. I think some of it is I've just been really tired more over the last like year, I would say. And I think part of it is, I think you hit it on, on the head with like, we're not really connecting. And so that doesn't really drive the want to. Mm-hmm. Do you hold hands? Do you kiss? Do yeah. you hug each other? Mm-hmm. So what happens when somebody initiates sex and the other person doesn't want to? I think there's just a lack of initiation. So nobody's initiating? Not often. And I'm assuming you're not talking about it. We've tried. That's great, but who brought it up? I I bring it up. And what happens in that discussion? It usually comes up like at the end of something else. It's never its own like topic. It's usually a, you know, this was wrong or like there was this or this. And then also like we're not having sex. So that's what we call kitchen sink fighting, where you kind of throw in everything but the kitchen sink. So it's like we're fighting about one thing or we're talking about one thing. But then let's do this laundry list of all the other things that Mm -hmm. I'm upset about that we haven't talked about. But that's not a sincere effort to actually have a discussion, right? right? If you just tag it on at the end, he also understands that he's not going to sit down and, okay, let's sit down and talk about that now. So you've barely had sex for two years. What prevents you from talking with him about that? You're worried that it's going to upset him and then he's going to have 
a flare-up of his symptoms? Yeah, I just don't know how to bring it up. I don't know when to bring it up. I don't know how to have the conversation. I need to do something about it. And like that kind of scares me. Let me just backtrack for a second. If you were in this marriage with Sid and he didn't have sickle cell disease and you weren't having sex, how do you think you might bring it up? I don't know. Right, so this is what I'm starting to suspect. So much of what might have been sort of typical marital issues between the two of you get tossed into this bucket of, well, we can't talk about that because Sid is sick. But I think that even if he weren't sick, maybe the two of you don't have the practice talking about some of these delicate things with each other. It's so easy to say, well, we're not talking about it because of what happens with the illness when we start talking about things. But a lot of what you're talking about are actually kind of universal couples issues. And then later on top of that is the fact that he's sick. But things like, how do we talk about our needs in the relationship? What happens when one person's needs seem to be bigger or there isn't really space for the other person's needs? What happens when we have differences of opinion about things, big things in the marriage? What happens when the intimacy declines because we're not connecting? Any couple listening to this is probably nodding right now, saying, oh yeah, those issues are really common. But when you start to make the excuse that we're not talking about that because of Sid's illness, now you have this concrete reason that you can't do it. What we're trying to say here is that these parallel tracks don't need to be so parallel of the illness and the marriage, that they're actually quite intertwined. Every marriage has its stuff. This marriage happens to have this as its stuff, but it also has a lot of other stuff that lots of other marriages have. And it's not just that he doesn't want to talk about it. It's that I have trouble talking about it. And so I want to know what the fear is if the illness weren't there. What would be your fear of saying to your husband, hey, you know, we're not having sex and I want to talk about that with you? I don't know. The first couple of years of our relationship, we just seemed to always be on the same page about everything. And so it was just easy. Nothing big ever really came up. I don't know how to bring it up. I don't know how to say it so that it doesn't like offend him. You say you were on the same page about everything in the first couple of years of, of your relationship. But there are things that come up when you talk about the future. Things like, do we both want kids? You're both in your 30s now. What do you think is going to happen if you never bring this up? We will never have kids. And what do you think that's going to do for you in terms of your future? How do you think you're going to feel about that later knowing that you never brought it up. So it would be one thing if you brought it up, you talked about it, you came to some place of peace with it together. I'm trying to help you think about what might happen if you never bring it up and you don't have kids, even though your desire is to have kids. I mean, there's like regret and resentment that would probably happen. You know what would happen on his end? which is already happening because people who have 
illnesses which require their spouse to be caretakers, feel guilty a lot, feel worried and fearful about their own futures a lot. And sometimes it's so paralyzing, they don't even want to deal with it, but it's there and it's hovering. And if you don't talk about it together, then he can't express any of that either. And I think it's going to be very difficult for you to talk about kids. It's going to be very difficult for you to talk about sex. It's going to be very difficult for you to talk about anything unless you can first learn to talk about sickle cell in a very open, matter-of-fact way. I'm not talking about just the big discussions of fears about the future. I mean, on the day-to-day, not just transactionally, but what the impact is. Oh, you can't go to this thing. You understand it's not his fault, of course, but it's disappointing. Are you allowed to be upset? Can you be open about the frustrations that you might feel in moments like that? If he's really fearful, like, what if this just gets worse? What if I can't do anything? Is he allowed to express that? Are you allowed to express that? that you really need to be able to talk about the elephant in the room in a much more open way? Are you willing to do that? Yeah. Beyond like just wanting to, like, I think we need to, you know, I, yeah. I think in yeah. order to be able to get to anything else. And, and as you said, like get closer, we have to be able to have the conversation and address it in a way that's meaningful for the both of us in order to, to, to have a relationship and, and a good one at that. Savannah, if you weren't worried about his reaction and you were being truly open and honest with yourself about how you feel about what's going on right now, what would you say? I think that maybe what it would ultimately feel is that like we sort of aren't on the same page you know he wants to handle things his way and believes that he is in full control and he needs to do it on his own and he can't really share that and I don't know that I can be in a place where that part isn't shared So you want to be included. Can you fill in these sentences? I'm scared because. I'm scared because. I think we may end up just wanting completely different things. I'm overwhelmed by I'm overwhelmed by the gravity of our current situation and having to deal with it I feel alone when I feel alone almost all the time I want to point out that when you feel alone almost all the time, it is very natural to anticipate that Sid won't respond well when you talk to him, because the way you envision those conversations is you end up alone at the end of them. 
And the fear can be paralyzing. And the other thing is that I think a lot of young couples aren't forced to talk about the hard things the way you as a young couple are. And on the one hand, that might feel overwhelming. But on the other hand, it gives you something that other couples don't have. It allows you to become even more emotionally intimate in ways that other couples your age maybe don't have to because they're not forced to have these harder conversations about who are we to each other and what is our future like and what happens when we deal with a crisis together of this magnitude and how do we get both of our needs met in this way? This could do one of two things for the two of you. It could put you guys in a place where you're both not willing to talk about it and then you're going to both feel isolated and alone. Or we hope it has the opposite effect, which is that it creates a kind of infrastructure and strength and resilience to the relationship that makes you so much closer than maybe you ordinarily would have been at the stage of your relationship. I was thinking when you were just saying that, when I have a couple that I'm working with who are young and who have had to deal with extraordinary stresses or difficult events, the first thing I say to them is you have to frame it as we are in a really challenging situation that will require us to extend ourselves to the kinds of emotional discomfort we ordinarily would not have to experience. So we can't just go by our regular autopilot here. We actually have to pause and steer together. So Savannah, what really struck us was when I asked you to finish the sentence, I feel alone when, you answered with most of the time. And in general, caregivers are so focused on taking care of someone else that they end up feeling very alone. And you need support too. And you really need support from people who understand what you're going through. And your friends who are married in their early 30s are going to have a very different experience than you're having right now. So we'd like you to find a support group specifically for couples where somebody is affected by sickle cell disease. And we think that not only will that help you to be able to talk about some of the things that are really hard to talk about, but it'll also give you a model of how other people really live and live well with something so challenging. When you talked about kids and you thought, well, I just won't bring it up because it doesn't seem possible, you will probably see models of people who have kids and you'll see how they do it. If you decide not to have kids, you'll see models of that as well. All of the things that you're struggling with are so specific to, I'm married to somebody who has sickle cell disease that you really need to find people who understand, who can provide that community for you. As a start, you're also going to have to talk to your husband, of course, but you really need a place to be heard, to be understood, and to have a space that's yours. Okay. That's part one. Here's part two. So part two is to talk to him, as you might imagine. But we want you to frame that discussion in a very specific way. And 
The frame of the discussion is specific because it's about getting closer. You want to feel like you are addressing this as a partnership, as a team, even though he's the one that's suffering it, you're both dealing with it. And so you want to be able to have a series of talks about different things that you'll put them on the table, that you can be honest and open with one another and deal with it. But I want to have a series of conversations and I want to start today, you say to him, Sid, by talking about just one topic. And so we want you to prepare a list of the topics that you would like to talk about with him, just so he understands roughly what those things are. So they would be things like your sex life, whether you should have kids or not, how you have fun and whether you have enough of it, how you guys socialize and whether there's enough of that, what fears you might have of the future, how you're dealing with ongoing stress, how you deal with decisions. For example, you need, might need to make the point that, of course, it's your decision whether you take a supplement. I want to feel like, as your wife, I can voice my opinion about it and my thought about it, and then the decision is yours. And I want to hear how you feel about something. If you decide to do something or you don't decide to do something, I want to understand why. Tell me about your fears. Tell me about your choices. And let me tell you about how I feel about these things. And the same thing with the kids' discussion. It's not just, let's decide whether we're going to have kids or not. It's, let's talk about how we feel about the idea of being parents at this point in our lives. And if you do decide to have kids, you're going to have lots to talk about. Like, what do we do about genetic testing? And how do we both feel about that, given the genetic nature of this illness? These are the kinds of conversations that will make you stronger as a couple, no matter what you decide. And that's what you need to tell that the point of these conversations is to feel more connected and more partnered as a couple. So we're stronger. And then you give him the list and say, so here's a list of topics. And I'd like you to choose one of them that we can talk about today. And then the next week we'll talk again. And this time you give me a list of topics you want to talk about and I'll choose one. And we'll talk about that. And that's how we'll take turns. But we need to get into a regular routine of having these conversations. It helps to have that structure so it's not just we need to talk and about what. And then mm -hmm. you sort of kitchen sink it all where all these different topics come into one conversation. And the fact that the person gets to choose which topic it is, you know, you alternate weeks from each other's lists. That means that each of your concerns are going to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So he gets to choose from your menu and you get to choose from his menu. Yeah. You see? And if he says, but what about this? You say, that goes on your list then. And if you come up with something, then you go, I guess I'll put that on my list because we're not talking about it now because right now we're sticking to one topic only. So we'd like you to join a support group for partners of people with sickle cell disease. And we'd like you to really open up in there. There are going to be certain things that you feel more comfortable saying in there than you might feel saying to Sid. And that's your space to do that. And then we'd like you to open up that conversation with Sid, with the new frame, and give him your menu and invite him to pick something from the menu for that day. And then have him create a menu for you. And then you'll get to choose okay. and report back to us. How do you feel about doing these things? I feel good. I've never even thought about a support group before. I'm really open to that and seeing what other people's experiences are and being able to learn and be able to communicate better. I think that the structure and the list and having the other person pick is definitely an easier way to bring up really hard conversations. So 
yeah, I'm I'm actually excited to do it that way. Great. We look forward to hearing how it goes. You know what strikes me here is that she's been dealing with this for, they've been married for three, they've been living together two before that, they've been dating for eight years, and I somehow think that she's still very much a newbie to this in some way, because the idea of the support group or the idea of having these conversations, she was so excited by it. I'm so glad she wrote to us because I think just breaking her out of that mold of, no, you do not have to deal by yourself. Yeah, that's something that a lot of caregivers say. It never occurred to me to prioritize me. And I think that they feel some kind of guilt like it's one or the other, that if I give time to myself, then I'm being a bad caregiver to the other person. You will be better, not just as a caregiver, but as a person, if you take care of yourself. It is mandatory that you take care of yourself. This image keeps going through my mind of she was talking about how sometimes Sid will wake up in the middle of the night because he's experiencing excruciating pain or he's having a panic attack because of the enormity of what he's experiencing. And he either wants some food from her or he wants a hug. He wants some reassurance. And Mm. I had this image of her comforting him and nobody comforting her. How scary to wake up and find your husband is having this pain crisis, but there is no one attending to you in that moment. Did you see the big smile on her face when we said the Mm -hmm. thing about the support group? Yes. She was so excited about that. And I think the part two of it of, wow, we're going to have these conversations, but there's a frame and there's a structure. The menu does a lot because when couples kitchen sink it, it means that they don't talk enough. And so whenever they do... Each of them has the impulse to let's throw in all my complaints because who knows when we'll be able to talk again. And it's exactly because of that that the menu is so important. And a lot of couples can use this menu idea that you create a list of the things that you want to talk about. Your partner creates a list. And each time you set aside time to talk about one thing and each one chooses from the other person's list. For couples who don't talk well and who need guardrails for their discussions, that menu idea is a great thing they can implement. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing how it goes for her. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Well, we heard back from Savannah, and I'm curious to see how that went. Hey, Lori and Guy, this is Savannah. I wanted to let you know that things have been going really well. We both made those lists and we had two conversations on different topics. All the items on the list were different for each of us, but we sat down and just were really open and honest and kept the conversation that same way. We decided that we were just going to talk and not come to any decisions and just start today and keep it going. And that worked out really well. We talked about two pretty big things that were on both of our minds. And it was the first time that it had come up for both of us. And it it felt really good to be able to talk about it and open up about it and almost like clear the air. And every time we would veer off topic, we would just sort of come back to the one thing that we had talked about, you know, exactly the way you guys said to do it and it would work out and and that's what happened. And it it made it a much more productive conversation. And I think that has allowed us to know what the other person is going through and understand it on a different level. And I think it's going to help us as we continue to have these harder conversations in the future. It has definitely opened the door for conversations for both of us. And I think it's going to help us a lot in the long term. Unfortunately, on the support group side, that has been a lot more challenging. It's just hard to find one for spouses specifically. Most of the ones that I've been able to find are for families of children. But I'm going to keep searching and keep trying to find options And I'm going to ask around, ask the doctors, ask people in the community and take it from there. Maybe there are other infectious diseases or something that are similar where there is one specifically for spouses. I'm committed to doing it and to finding it and certainly not going to give up, especially given that the other half of the advice was super helpful and came in handy. And I, I feel so much better. So thank you again. Um, Definitely moving forward in a much more open way. And I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. 
I'm really glad that Savannah started having these conversations that are long overdue. It's really common when you're the caregiver that you're afraid to talk about anything that's bothering you because you feel like your concerns don't rank as high on some kind of hierarchy of needs as your partners who's struggling with the illness. What she saw is that it helped both of them to be able to use the menu. And now I think there's hope of being able to be heard, being able to have their needs met, and also being able to come closer to one another. I've worked with many people who've had chronic illnesses, and it often comes back to when one person opens the door, the other person goes, oh, great, I'm dying to open the door. Right. And doing it with the menu gives them a structure for this. And even though the topics are very serious, it also makes it a little bit fun. Like, what am I going to choose from your menu today? I think that this is something all couples can use because it's always a little bit of a tense point when you want to have a discussion. So to come and say, here's my menu, come up with one, we'll do one of mine one time, one of yours another time, is a great way for couples to tackle hot button or sensitive topics. In the meantime, I think the support group would be very helpful for her. And I just want to say that even though she wasn't able to find a support group for caregivers specifically related to sickle cell, I would urge her to just go to a support group for caregivers in general. There are many support groups out there for people who have a partner who is ill. I think that caregivers have a lot of overlap in terms of what they're going through. I agree. But my recommendation always is if you're looking for a support group for a specific thing and you can't find it, start one. Hey, fellow travelers. If you've used any of our advice from the podcast in your own life, send us a quick voice memo to Laurie and Guy at iHeartMedia.com and tell us about it. We may include it in a future show. And if you're enjoying our podcast each week, please help support Dear Therapists. You can tell your friends about it, and we'd be so grateful if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help people find the show. You can follow us both online. I'm at LoriGottlieb.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at LoriGottlieb1 or on Instagram at LoriGottlieb underscore author. And I'm at GuyWinch.com. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at GuyWinch. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big or small, email us at LoriAndGuy at iHeartMedia.com. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to Samuel Benefield and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. 
That's better, H-E-L-P dot com.